Coog's house. Want to hear about another super secret hoop scrimmage? Yes, another super secret hoop scrimmage. This time with the Dukies. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, daily podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can step by, please be sure to hit subscribe and download the podcast each day for the latest on the Cougs all year long. If you're subscribed, I'll show you pop up on your feed each day, so be sure to make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Today, we're going to look at another super deluxe secret basketball scrimmage that is not so secret as we're finding out. This is the third ranked Houston Cougars spent their homecoming Saturday morning not cheering on the football team at TDECU Stadium. They were not involved in the halftime festivities, but they were competing instead in a heated scrimmage with the Duke Blue Devils. Yes, the Duke Blue Devils, the very much hated across the country Duke Blue Devils. In the first segment of today's show, we're going to look at what we know about the scrimmage itself, the things that we know happened and in the second segment we're gonna try and read between the lines and understand what happened based on some stuff and some stats we got out of the scrimmage yes we actually got a potential stat sheet out of the scrimmage and in our final segment we're gonna look ahead at what kind of things the Cougs will be taking away from that and what kind of things the Cougs can take away from scrimmages themselves as they get rid of their first basketball game against Northern Colorado next week so let's make sure we dive into the stuff we know for sure First, we know there were several notable inactives in the scrimmage. For the University of Houston, you had freshman Emmanuel Sharp, redshirt freshman Emmanuel Sharp. We talked about in our freshman preview episode a couple weeks ago, back in the bye week of the football season at this point. He was out with what they've described as a non-serious hand injury, or at least that's been reports have been. And I'd say that that's frankly good to hear because just seeing his name on the injury report after everyone knows about his injury from a year ago, if you recall, he injured his lower leg a year ago as a high school senior and then graduated early to enroll at U of H last winter where he took a quote redshirt year to rehab because he's going to miss the whole year at his high school in Florida. Anyway, given that injury history, just seeing his name would have been fairly nerve-wracking. But instead, freshman Emmanuel Sharp, it sounds like it was a non-serious hand injury. Sounds like the kind of thing they're just being cautious with because the season starts next week. On the Dukie side, we had Duke standout freshman Derek Whitehead, who was a, you know, perimeter wing type guy still on their injured list after recovering from a broken foot that did require surgery back at the beginning of August. All indications are that he'll be back at some point this season for the Dukies, but he's posted as much on social media like saying he'll come back soon. You see kids post that on their social medias when they're injured. But uh, Duke head coach John Shire indicates that the freshman wing will be in a few weeks. I think that's important to note that he will be back this season. So in this potential Final Four feeling type of matchup, we may end up seeing a very different looking perimeter out of Duke. On the interior for Duke, Derek Lively, the second, another standout freshman, continues to be week to week for the Blue Devils. I didn't see a whole lot more specific besides that, but I will say Duke basketball Twitter seemed fairly confident that he was not going to play in the scrimmage anyway. He's going to be back for the regular season. Now, Lively and Whitehead, like our two freshmen, they were also the number one and two recruits in the class of 2022 on ESPN.com. They add length and size and explosiveness to the lineup that Duke has. And frankly, one of the like calling cards to Duke coming into the season, the second year of the John Shire regime, or the John Shire Duke Blue Devil experiment, 
is having these guys. They had these two guys, a guy named Kyle Filipowski, as two or three of the top like 10 to 15 recruits, depending on what database you're looking at, on the same team. It's kind of the same like the way they won it with the Justice Wins of the World back in the day. We'll talk more about Justice Wins in a second, actually. But the same kind of concept. We have three standout freshmen showing up to Duke. Two of those guys did not play. As for the scrimmage itself, it happened in Fertitta Center at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Yes, that is somewhat strategically at the same time as the football game because they did not allow media in. They had obviously their own social media crews taking pictures, but they did not allow media in to, you know, digest and take in the scrimmage. It was just the teams and their social media staffs taking pictures. Uh, they played one full 20-minute half, went to the locker rooms for halftime, came out and played a 12-minute second half before getting into some situations for, like, game-end scenarios. Um Honestly, the in- interesting thing there to me was to look at, like, they did some, like, two-for-one type drills. Where, like, you're trying to get, you know, use the shot clock to your advantage and, like, get a shot, get a stop, get a second shot in a certain amount of time, right, based on what the shot clock is without having to worry about fouling down the stretch. Reports indicate that they also ran some various, uh, like, last-second out-of-bounds ATO type plays. They also apparently did things like put, you know, one team at the line up two with 53 seconds, then repeated with it down two with 53 seconds, then repeated it with tied with 53 seconds left, and played out those minutes, and then reversed it for the other team as well. So a lot of like clutch type of scenarios between two teams that, again, I want to stress, have hopes for the final four. That's big, big deal. And then they wrapped it up at the end, the same kind of deal they did with the Texas scrimmage. We had a freshman or out of the rotation kind of, kind of guys getting minutes with one another. Now, Houston did win the scrimmage. All reports indicate that after the 32 minutes of basketball played in the 20-minute half and the 12-minute second half, that Houston was up by 11, 61 to 50. I'd say 61 and 50 in 32 minutes of basketball indicates a high-scoring, high-speed affair. You'll see some games in the Big 12 or in the AAC come out this year. I say Big 12 because we're going to be next year in the AAC because that's where we are right now. You'll see some games that end in the 60s and the 50s this season. That was where the Houston and Duke scrimmage was after 30 two minutes. I said we talk about Justice Winslow later because one thing I think is funny is after that came out that Houston beat Duke in a scrimmage, Duke alum, but perhaps more famously to this audience, Houston's St. John's alum, Justice Winslow, tweeted out that U of H over Duke today in a scrimmage. My dad was happy about that, dot, dot, dot. Now, Justice's dad famously is Ricky Winslow. Ricky would be one of the last people would qualify as a Phi Slamma Jamma fraternity member from the University of Houston in the mid-80s. His son, as we said earlier, went to St. John's. Justice, I guess both of his kids went to St. John's, but Justice went to St. John's before ultimately going to Duke for his one-and-done year. He now plays for the Portland Trailblazers. I want to say, like, Justice is a fun pro to watch and really does represent the city of Houston well, but it's nice to see that Dad won this bet over the weekend. I say that I don't know if there actually was a bet, but with, you know, Justice being a current pro basketball player, Ricky being a former pro basketball player, I have to imagine there was maybe some sort of stakes on it. Maybe nothing too big like a car, but if they're going to put a car on it, they need to put a Nissan because this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup of Nissans are intended to empower drivers and vehicles as capable as the driver themselves. When I think about the unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, it has to be when Tank Dell caught the 52-yard bomb from one Clayton Toon in the big win over South Florida in the homecoming football game on Saturday. I feel like it was the first time we really got to see Tank Dell's speed take off when he went over the top of the defense before catching the ball. Right? You see a lot of his speed 
underneath stuff, but he catches short throws and takes them the distance. It was one of the first times this season we got to see him take it over the top, and it also allowed Clayton Toon to show off his arm. It was a thrilling moment for sure as we saw Clayton Toon go for over 10,000 yards his career that game. And birthday boy Tank Dell got two receiving touchdowns and over 100 yards as well. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, now diving into this game a little deeper, we actually got a box score sent out by a couple of different Duke publications. Now, we don't get box scores from scrimmages very frequently because, frankly, a lot of the times they're not keeping official stats because while they're breaking down tape of it later, their goal of a scrimmage is not to keep score and see who wins as much as it is to compete and see how your guys compete in competitive situations. Now, this was an unofficial scorecard taken and taken, pictures are taken of it, I should say, on various Duke social media accounts. Like unofficial, not like Duke University itself, but like a handful of different Duke fan accounts. And I have to say that it's worth pointing out, Marcus Sasser, uh, duh, filled up the stat sheet as he typically does. If I'm reading this correctly, Sasser finished the team high 17 points four rebounds and an assist. I have to say that it feels like, based on that, that Jamal Shedd must have been running the show because Shedd had noticeably less points than his averages would indicate, but he had his own three rebounds and four assists. And I feel like that kind of indicates a shift in roles, probably based on what Duke was doing, if I'm taking honest guesses and assessments based on the information provided. Uh, Jawan Roberts led Houston with seven rebounds. Houston out-rebounded Duke, which I think is interesting to look at because Houston tends to run a single big out on the floor with four wings. We know Jarris Walker's going to kind of shift what that lineup looks like this season forward. Freshman forward, I should say. Jarris Walker's going to shift how that lineup looks because he's such a versatile wing slash big man. But Houston out rebounding Duke feels big. Houston also had a lot more fouls. They had 18 fouls to Duke's 15. That also led to 25 Duke free throws. Um, one positive that looks like out here is Tremont Mark played a lot of minutes, and that's a good, good sign given his injuries from a year ago. He missed a lot of last year. It hurt. It's nice to have him back. I know at the red and white scrimmage, he talked about being back. We didn't hear a lot about him in the Texas scrimmage. And so having swingman Tremont Mark back in the lineup and back playing a lot of basketball really adds a dimension to this team. He's a versatile, long wing defender that can really, really get after it on the offensive end and does a great job of keeping his feet moving and his chest in front of guys on the defensive end. So I'm really encouraged to see his name on the stat sheet with 24 of the 32 available minutes next to it. That to me indicates he really is back to being himself. No other Cougar had a big day scoring outside of, or no other Cougar had a big day shooting the three, I should say, outside of Sash. They had a couple guys that were close to around 10 points. I think it's interesting looking at this that five starters were all over 20 minutes. That feels like they got a lot of time on the floor together in that 32 minutes of run. However, there was not a whole lot of depth being shown. No one besides Reggie Chaney had as many as nine minutes. You had a seven, a six, an eight, a nine. And I honestly, in the depth I saw in the red and white scrimmage and all the things we heard out of the Texas scrimmage, would have assumed that some of these guys like Javier Francis or Terrence Arsenault got a little more run than it looks like they got based on the minutes. Maybe they got more run with the reserves group later. We don't have stats from that. Maybe they got some more run in the situational kind of stuff, like Houston wants to go small for these situations or whatever. So I don't want to say that they didn't get any run, but in the traditional 32 minutes we have statistics for, does not look like they got 
much run. Uh, I think it's interesting, too, that I think of Houston and the Kelvin Sampson teams as being tenacious defensively, but Duke was the team that was actually able to force a lot more turnovers than Sampson's team, and that makes me feel like, ugh, you know, what does that mean about the defense we seem to pride ourselves on as Houston Cougars? We think of the Sampson-led defense being so predicated on guard ball pressure and how that kind of steers the ship and a lot of what Houston tries to do with the ball screens and how they play different actions across the top. And I don't know, like, is that kind of thing like that they maybe had trouble with early and that they would have continued to ramp up in the second half? So you need to watch the tape here. We're kind of left guessing based on these numbers. And the raw numbers indicate that Duke did a better job of turning Houston over, which is interesting because it's just not where I would have thought things were going, especially with freshman Derek Whitehead not on the floor for Duke. I would have thought that, you know, Houston kind of had the advantage of some veteran leadership there. On the whole, though, obviously, the like, if you're trying to win the scrimmage idea here is that scoring 61 points is better than scoring 50 points at the end of the day. And I feel like what's interesting here is Houston shot the ball as a whole so much better than Duke did. Houston shot 23 of 43 from the field and 12 of 17 from the free throw line. Duke shot 15 of 41 from the field and 18 of 25 from the free throw line. So when you factor in like the fact that Duke got a couple more turnovers and then got that many more free throws, that's the only way that this game even apparently was as close as the 11 points it ended at. And I think that's a really, really important stat line to look at because, you know, over the course of a game, over the course of the season, you hope that Houston adjusts to the whistles. This is the second scrimmage in a row we've heard of a lot of whistles on the Houston defense. So, you know, worth noting also, the kind of thing that free throws will be the kind of thing that we see even out and, you know, hopefully elevate to where we're getting more than 12 of our 17 of the course of the season. And certainly if we're giving Houston, if we're giving Duke, I should say, 25 free throws, that feels like we're throwing them an extra handful of points. If we're looking at individual numbers, I thought might be a little bit higher. I'm going to be completely honest. When I saw that Lively did not play, I kind of thought Jairus Walker would be the guy that got to take over freshman forward. Jairus Walker is the five-star phenom coming into Houston from the IMG Academy. And at the like 6'8", 6'9", 240, 230-ish build that he is, I kind of thought that Juwan Roberts would do the dirty work and Jairus Walker would be the beneficiary of said dirty work. That's just that big man Jawan Roberts would do all the boxing out dirty work on whatever other backup bigs that Duke was playing, and just Walker get to scoop in and get the rebounds and take off flying down the floor. It looks like statistically that's not quite what happened or that the Jawan Roberts big man dirty work turned into his own set of rebounds. Again, he did, as I said before, he led the team in rebounds with seven. I, I just would have expected a little bit more at Jairus Walker, looking like a mundane first 32 minutes. He did, of the starters, get the least minutes at 23, and so I wonder if, you know, it doesn't say on here that he had he had three personal fouls. It's not like he, like, fouled out or anything like that. I just wonder if, like, maybe he's the one as the, like, freshman starter getting to split his minutes with Javier Francis or Terrence Arsenault or Reggie Chaney, other wing-type guys that Houston brought in off the bench, even if they didn't play those guys individually any you know, particularly large amount of minutes, did they come at the expense of Jarrett Walker's minutes in this short 32-minute run? Or is it the kind of thing where, like, you know, in the first half, they played a total of 20 minutes, like a traditional first half, and so, like, you saw more traditional 
run and gun of that where you saw the more traditional rotations and the second half being just 12 minutes did coach Sampson said I'm just going to play my five the first, the 12 minutes and that or something like that right like we don't know how that went so you can see it going a number of ways but it is interesting that freshman Jess Walker had the least amount of minutes of any of the starters for Houston Duke on the other hand had a little bit more balanced minutes on their score sheet it looks like obviously they had four of their five starters up over the 20-minute mark, but they had three guys in the teens, and then some guy named Jaden Schutt got just three minutes. So of the seven guys that got real minutes for Duke, they all got roughly, with the exception of you know, Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell getting like closer to 30, but not quite 30. They got similar minutes on the score sheet. And I wonder if that's just kind of what they have to do when they're operating with a little bit less people, right? They were down two guys and so as I look at this I wonder like how those rotations worked and how that would have played itself out over a 40 minute game and how that would have played itself out with two more five-star caliber freshmen out there for them and frankly would that have led to more subbing on the Houston side right if they'd gone a little bit deeper into their bench does that mean the Houston goes a little bit deeper into theirs because I think from all indications the Texas scrimmage and then the red and white scrimmage as I recorded a couple weeks ago I feel like we have an understanding that Houston is deeper than they might have showed, or at least than the stat sheet shows from the Duke scrimmage. And so that's thing I'm going to keep an eye on the Northern Colorado game. Not that that game, when you know Houston breaks the lead out like they should in that game, I anticipate them rotating all the guys through. You see Ryan Elvin and all of them. But when it's a little bit earlier in the game, who on the bench is Samson going to? That's kind of what I'm going to be keeping an eye on after looking at this scrimmage stat sheet. The other thing I'm going to be looking and keeping an eye on is like, how does Sampson plan to score with Jarris Walker? Because he saw in the red and white scrimmage, he pulled up from three a couple times. And while, you know, I talked about the jitters and that kind of thing, I'm not sure that that's out of hand for him. Like, I'm sure that's too out of pocket. But he's kind of had lower scoring scrimmages thus far. And Jarris Walker, athletically, it sounds like dominated the Texas game in a way that we haven't heard necessarily about this Duke game. But I wonder what kind of things, like, what is Samson going to do with the five-star swingman like that? Sasser will be Sasser. Shed will be Shed. And it sounds like Tremont Mark is back to being Tremont Mark. Houston's backcourt is set. It's how the big guys go, how Jawan Roberts and Jairus Walker go. That will be interesting to watch in the early part of the season. That being said, I'm not sweating it too terribly much, and neither should you. Now, I am a person that talks a lot in the course of a day, and if I'm being really, really blunt with you, talking for a long period of time can make me a little bit sweaty, but sweaty no more. Now, I was able to get this problem under control with sweat block. Sweat block gives me the confidence to wear what I want without embarrassing underarm sweat and can do the same for you too. The sweat block wipes were featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by various firefighters. And if it can stand up to that kind of heat and sweat, I'm sure it can do the same for you. Sweat block is created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating as doctor created and doctor recommended. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try sweat block. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. It is also available on Amazon. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. All right, so this is the fun part of the show. In the third segment, we're going to look at some various ways to like read between the lines of this and try to make some guesses to what's going to be happening over the rest of the week leading up to the first game next week. And then obviously the big marquee matchup with St. Joe's at the end of the week next week. Again, that's November 7th. Houston tips off with Northern Colorado. And then at the end of the week, November 11th, you'll see Houston squaring up with St. Joe's in Annapolis at the Naval Academy. It'd be a fun first week of basketball for the Cougs. One of the things I'm looking at here is 
did freshmen and bench guys not get time in the scrimmage or in the traditional 32 minutes of the scrimmage because they got that extra run later? Does that mean that Houston's going to like not be playing those guys at all? Is that just kind of the way that the scrimmage rolls? I'm going to be looking at guys like Terrence Arsenault and JVA Francis. I'm also going to be looking at where redshirt freshman Emmanuel Sharp fits in because I think we can all feel fairly solidly after watching his high school game and watching the red and white scrimmage and things like that, that he will fit into the rotation of this team and that means the minutes have to come from somewhere right minutes are a zero sum game so if he is going to get minutes someone is going to lose their minutes the other thing i'm gonna look at is and i kind of alluded to this in talking about the stat sheet itself the foul trouble is kind of a concern it's been mentioned in each scrimmage and this one particular duke shot 25 free throws in just 32 minutes of basketball and i think it's interesting that like i mentioned when i went to the coaches clinic Coach Sampson is really, really open to having his guys play defense and get fouls because he feels like at some point the refs can't call all of them. He trusts his team to be deep, and he feels like the refs can't call all of them and foul all their guys out. At some point, their game is just going to get physical, and he wants his guys to play physical. However, in the one-game sample size that is winner-take-all type of tournament play, it might not be in our favor to be giving away 25 free throws in 32 minutes. That's on pace for having like 31 or 32 free throws given up in a 40-minute game. That's a lot of free throws. Now, I got to feel like the game situation might have been more telling, and I kind of wish we had some sort of tape or clips or stats or something about how those went because this Houston team with veteran-led guards, you anticipate being good in situations like going two-for-one because the veteran leadership they have in the positions that are handling the ball for a lot of that. They also have great, great shooting in Sasser and Shed able to attack as well off the bounce, both those guys. And I feel like that feels like the kind of offense that is good for those kind of situations. I want to see like how they're shooting free throws down the stretch, right? That 53-second test. If you remember what I said at the top of the show, they had 53 seconds where you had the ball shooting free throws up to 53 seconds where you had the ball shooting free throws down to 53 seconds we had the ball shooting free throws tied and I feel like each of those situations has different ways to go about them and again with the veteran leadership of our guards I feel like I want to see Shed and Sasser in those situations and I wish we had more to diagnose on that besides the fact that it sounds like Houston per reports did very well I'd like to know what very well means I'm sure you do too yeah it sounds like you're nodding you are you do too but I'd like to know how that went for the veteran backcourt of Houston I have to imagine that Houston's dominant guard play was a key contributor across all the situations because frankly that's going to be the place that Houston hangs their hat on this season and I feel like if you know we're a top three ranked team going into the season we're predicted to win the American Conference and got the player of the year in the conference all those various preseason accolades which just means we ain't done it yet but I digress I wonder if that's going to fall on the guards in the way that I anticipate anticipate I should say um the other thing that's interesting in looking at this is this is a blue blood program that Houston just played against and went toe-to-toe with this is the kind of team that Houston has to go toe-to-toe with if they want to make it to NRG Stadium and play in the Final Four. This win, even if neither team was healthy and it's a scrimmage, it's 32 minutes and ba-da-da-da-da-da, feels like a step towards being that year-in and year-out contender that Samson is trying to build in Houston. We know in the city of Houston, if you keep the kids here, 
you can win big time. We know in the city of Houston that the city can rally behind a winning basketball program. We see it in the 60s, we see it in the 80s, and frankly, we've already seen it a little bit in the Kelvin Sampson era. We know that that's the way the city can rally behind this team. Hashtag for the city is not just a hashtag. It's truly the way this, the team works. I also think it's worth pointing out that this is the kind of team that if you want to move into the Big 12 and be atop the Big 12, you kind of just have to be. I remember Samson saying it in the offseason leading up to this year with some of the hype coming into the season and like the move in the Big 12 and all the fun stuff going on around that. He was like, yeah, but that means we had to put in work, right? The Big 12 had Texas Tech in the championship game in 2019. There was no championship game in 2020. Baylor won it all in 2021. Kansas won it all in 2022. If Houston's going to be in the Big 12 next season, they need to have these kinds of games against these kinds of blue bloods and have these kinds of exhibitions and do these kinds of things to show that they are atop the entire college basketball landscape because, bluntly, that's just where the Big 12 is going to be. The Big 12 just signed a billion, billion-dollar contract, a multi-billion-dollar contract that Locked on Big 12 did a great, great episode on. Go check that out after this episode. And to honor that contract, Houston's going to have to be this kind of a basketball program. And so hearing that they did that on Saturday is really really encouraging. It's hats off to the work that Samson and the guys are doing and hats off to the program that they've built thus far. It's far from done, but it's on the right track. And we're going to follow that track all year long on Locked on Coos. Now, tomorrow we're back to football, but if you're following along all year, make sure you hit download and subscribe to get the podcast in your feed each and every day. Again, that's download and subscribe to get Locked on Coos, latest on all things Coos in your feed feed each and every day. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram and talk about the Cougs, you can find me at Painsworth 512 That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. I love talking Houston sports. We're in the World Series these days. The Rockets are in a fun rebuilding stage that I enjoy talking about, actually. So let's talk about that, too. We might not talk a lot about Texans, but I got Damian Pierce from Fantasy Team. That's going well. So let's talk Houston sports. Find me on Twitter at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. If you're looking for a second listen, let me recommend that same episode of Locked on Big 12. Go back and check out Josh Neighbors talk about all the big, big things that are happening in the TV market with the Big 12. And whatever you do, go Cougs.